You're now listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church Audio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. Uh, we're in the Easter season, as you know. We're now inside a month, and uh, Easter will soon be upon us. So I wanted to take a few weeks leading up to Easter just to focus on Jesus and the cross and his death and, and, and just... Uh, do a little, uh, not sort of an official titled series, but really just spending some time to talk about the Lord and what he's done for us and the power and the beauty of the cross. So today, I want to talk to you about the power and the wisdom of the cross. And I want to get, just get right into it today. Put up for me, I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says this. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Amen. Great, great passage of Scripture. The message of the cross Paul says, is foolish for those who don't believe, foolish for those who don't know the Lord, foolish in, in, in all respects. But to those who believe, he says, it is the power of God. Haven't you noticed how the Holy Spirit changes your perspective? Have you found that to be true? Uh, maybe especially if you found the Lord later in life, you, you, uh, I, I remember it, it really thrills me when I sometimes I sit down when I'm allowed to, you know, you know, pre COVID. But uh, when you sit down with somebody over a coffee who has found the Lord later in life and they begin to share their testimony, like, oh, you know, I, 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 uh, I thought the Bible was foolish, I thought church people were just loony and crazy. And he goes, and, that, and now I am one, you know, and. It just uh, does something uh, uh, in us. It reminds me when I have those conversations with people that the Holy Spirit changes us. He really changes us. He changes our perspective. He changes how we think. He changes our attitude on hot topics of our day. He changes the way we look at our world. He changes the way that we look at each other. He just does something in us that's so unique and so real. And 
So Paul is pointing to that kind of a thing that those who don't know him, Jews and Gentiles that don't know him, they, they think it's foolish. This is foolishness. But to those who know him, they know that it is the power of God. So he's pointing to that about this change that happens in us all. Those who follow Christ have come to understand that the cross means forgiveness. The cross means salvation from sin and death, that we are secure in the palm of his hand, that he is with us, that he is for us, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that we have become children of God. And this is the power and the wisdom of the cross that people, some people just don't get. God's wisdom is revealed in the cross, but not everybody sees it. Not everybody gets it. So I was thinking this week, three sort of questions about the cross that I wanted to, to respond to today. Uh, the first one is this. What does the cross accomplish? What, what does it actually accomplish? Verse 18 says that we who are being saved, don't miss that word, we who are being saved know that it is the power of God. So I was thinking, you know, you can actually look at Scripture and get this sense of that salvation is almost like in three stages. There's, there's three parts to it. It's he utterly saves us, that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And you can see, actually, scriptures that all point that way. Um, put up for me Romans 13. It says, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So those who have put their faith in Jesus have been saved. We are saved. There's no doubt about it. We are children of God. We've been adopted into his family. Heaven is our eternal home. We have been saved. But Paul says, Paul says those who are being saved, meaning it's almost like I have been saved. It's a past thing. I am being saved in the present, and I will be saved in the future. Romans 13 that we just read actually indicates there's a time coming when we will be saved, your salvation is nearer now, meaning it's still to come, even though we're saved. So I was thinking of it this way. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, meaning we've been, we've been forgiven, we've been set free, that the wages of sin have been paid and we have been made right. We have been, we have been justified because of the victory of Jesus. So we were saved from the penalty that's that, that of sin that was on us. We are being saved from the power of sin, meaning we're growing more like Jesus. In the, the old church people like me used to call it sanctification. We can't even spell that word anymore, right? But it's, it's becoming more like Jesus, conquering sin, making progress, overcoming temptation. We are better now than what we were six months ago, that things that used to trip us up don't anymore, that there's this growing that happens. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one, of course, and then finally, we're going to be saved from 
the presence of sin. So we're saved first from the penalty, we're saved from the power of sin, and last, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. One great day when we see Jesus, and heaven will be our home, and he makes a new heaven and a new earth. There will be, the word says, no more sickness and no more pain, and sin will be totally wiped out. We will not need handicapped parking spaces. We will not need doctors or nurses, for there will be no sin. There will be no sin. The presence of sin will be wiped out. Of course, that is yet to come, but you see, when, when Jesus goes to the cross, we understand the depth of the salvation that we have received. We, we, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved one day from the very presence of sin. It's this past, present, future. It's this movement thing that's going on in our lives. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. So that's how I was looking at it this week. And it, and it, it dropped this little thought into my mind. It, it means that God's not finished with us yet. It means he's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you yet. That he's continuing to work on us. And he wants us to keep progressing into the salvation that Jesus died to give us. That Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, keep working out your salvation, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We're being saved. Keep working it out now. Keep working it out. Yeah, you might have been saved 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, anybody? 60? Yeah, 70? Well, you know what, you know what I mean. Keep working it out. It's so important. God is not finished with you yet. It doesn't matter who you are or how old you are. It is important to keep growing stronger in the faith, stronger in your knowledge of who he is and who you are in Christ. No matter how long that you've served the Lord, please keep learning Keep open, keep praying, stay hungry for the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's the only thing that matters in the end. We've got to stay hungry for him. And if you're not progressing, you know what's going to happen. It won't be very long before you start to go the other way. Coldness, indifference, apathy, just a lack of mercy, a lack of, of concern for others. Selfishness starts to creep into our lives. This is what happens when we don't keep our relationship alive. We've got to stay hungry for the Holy Spirit. It, this, 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 this negativity and bad stuff and sinful stuff, it seems to so easily creep into our lives. You've got to keep your relationship with Jesus fresh. You've got to keep it alive. You know, I was thinking, it's, it's like any other relationship, really, in your life, is it not? Like, meaning, it, it takes some attention. It takes some effort. It takes some desire on your part to keep it strong. You, you, you know, to have a good marriage, you have to care about your marriage. You have to keep working on it, stay alive. 
do what you need to do. When you have a friendship with somebody, you need, you need to keep the connection going. You need to make a little bit of effort. If, if, if the effort is not made, then the connection begins to wane. And so the, the relationship with Jesus must be kept fresh. And it takes some attention. It takes some work. It takes some effort and desire to keep it strong. God is not finished with you yet. I know we've heard that phrase, but it just blessed me this week as I was thinking about he, he, he loved me enough to send his son to save me. And he continues to love me enough to want to shape me, form me, to make me better, stronger, to develop my character, to work on my integrity. He, he didn't, he's not, you know, just uh, like the mother bird who gives birth to the baby and then flies away and you're on your own. No, he says he's with us. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That I saved you, I want you to keep progressing. You're being saved even now. And one day, I'm going to save you even from the presence of sin. So you, we're all here for a reason. We're all here for a purpose. And your particular gifts and talents are needed. They're needed to build the kingdom of God. You're here for a reason. Now, we understand that the enemy is still doing his thing, which is he's trying to steal and kill and destroy. And so he's out and about doing his thing. And so I, I understand that God is still doing his thing in you as well. So he's not finished with you yet. And so use your gifts and talents that have been God-given. Natural abilities, to me, are just supernaturally given. They're, they're, you know, they're just given to you by God, and he wants them to be used for his kingdom. And so don't let the enemy, don't let the enemy make you cool. Don't let him steal your joy, your fire, your desire. It's important. So what does the cross accomplish? It completely and utterly saves us. It saves us from the penalty of sin. It saves us from the power of sin. And one day it will save us from the presence of sin. So if you believe and receive this gift, you are a child of God. And the cross is no longer foolish to you, but it has become the wisdom and the power of God. It is something that the cross accomplishes in everyone's life who believes and receives. So that's, what, that's some thoughts on what does the cross accomplish. Second question I was thinking about this week was, what is the message of the cross? What does it really say? What is it, what is it communicating? Put up uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty four. It says, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the message of the cross is just that. The message of the cross is there is power, that the power of God and the wisdom of God is found in the crucified Christ. It's found in Jesus. He is the source of God's power and wisdom for us. We have to tap into Jesus to receive it. He is the source of a victorious life. But many, as we know, seem to have a very hard time accepting it and believing it. And the message of the cross is still foolish to them. Look at uh, verse 21 to 23. It says, since God in his wisdom 
saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. So Paul says, listen, it, it, it's foolish to the Jews and foolish to the Gentiles, but for a couple of different reasons. Paul says it's foolish to the Jews because they were always looking for a sign. They were always looking for a powerful sign. They were looking for, for Messiah to come and do all these powerful things that he would show himself, prove himself that he was from heaven, and then they would believe. And they repeatedly, they repeatedly asked Jesus for signs, repeatedly, that, that they would say, prove that you're from God, prove that you have the authority to do this, prove who you say that you are. Here's just a few examples, Matthew 12. One day, some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. In John chapter 2, it says, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And then another time in John chapter 6, said they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? It, it goes on and on and on. And of course, all the miracles that Jesus did didn't satisfy them. What else do you want the guy to do? Seriously. It didn't seem to satisfy him. But you know why? Because he, he did it his way and in his time, and he always refused to perform at their bidding. That's not how he operated. And they thought that the true Messiah would provide whatever proof that they required. They wanted this powerful, glorious Messiah who would come down in, in might and dazzle them with unbelievable, powerful signs. And even when Jesus was on the cross, they were still saying it. They were still saying it. Look, Matthew 27, right before Jesus dies, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king, so he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. Still looking for something that he wasn't going to give them. He would not give them a sign. And they could not accept the Messiah also, by the way, who was crucified on a cross. It was a stumbling block. The, uh, the NLT says that it was offensive to the Jews that somebody who claims to be from God would ever die on a cross. You see, because not only was dying on a cross a horrible death, um, in fact, it was so horrible that Romans weren't even allowed to be crucified. It was only a form of execution that was allowed on their enemies. Only the people that they conquered could be crucified. A Roman citizen could never be because it was just such an, a brutal, agonizing, painful, nasty death. It was offensive and shameful to the Jews. And to die on a cross was a horrible death 
um, back in Deuteronomy, I'll, I'll uh, just get ready, I'll put up Galatians 3 in just a second, but back in Deuteronomy, it talks about uh, that anything that dies that hangs on a tree is cursed. And so they believed that there, it was just offensive and that, that there was no possible way that the Messiah could hang on a tree and die. So it was not just a horrible death, but it was a shameful death to the Jews, and it was a cursed death to the Jews. And that's why it was so offensive to them that Jesus claims to be the Messiah and then comes, doesn't do signs that they, like, that they demand, and then dies a shameful, cursed death. They just could not wrap their heads around it. Galatians chapter 3, put that up for me. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse, isn't this interesting? From the curse that's pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And this is the quote from Deuteronomy. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He took the curse so that we could walk free. So the Jews think that the cross is foolish and offensive because of these reasons. Now, the Greeks were different. The Gentiles are different. They were looking for wisdom, Paul says. They weren't demanding miracles. Never once did they demand miracles. That was a Jewish thing. They, the Romans and the, and the Greeks and the Gentiles, they, they, were, they, they valued you know, their, their philosophers. They had Plato and Socrates and all their thinkers and all their debaters and all their scholars. And they took great pride in their knowledge. They, they took great pride in their sophistication, that they were better than everyone else. They were smarter than everybody else. And they wanted somebody to come to explain God to them in deep, mystical ways. They wanted this Messiah to come and wow them with great wisdom. And the gospel and the message of Jesus and especially his death on the cross, was rejected by many Gentiles because it failed their standards of human wisdom. It was something that they couldn't wrap their heads around. You see, they couldn't see any wisdom at all in anyone who would die on a cross. That, that, why would you die a common criminal death, a nasty, a nasty, anyone who is smart, anyone who was wise, anyone who was, you know, from God and who had, you know, the majesty and the power of God would never allow himself to go through such a horrible thing. So they, they just couldn't see any wisdom in Jesus going to the cross. And the, the Paul even says, I mean, they considered it foolish nonsense. That's what he says. They just considered it nonsense. So Jesus on the cross, understand, he's offensive to the Jews, and, and, uh, and, and it's nonsense to the Gentiles. Think of it that way. It's offensive to the Jews, and it seems like nonsense to the Gentiles. The Jews want power, uh, and the Gentiles want wisdom, and they couldn't see what they wanted to see in Jesus. And so many thought the message of the cross and the life of Christ was nothing that they wanted to have anything to do with. Verse 24 says that Christ is the power of God. It is the power of God. And he is the wisdom of God. But it's for those 
who can accept it. So there is a sense of the message of the cross being foolish to both Jews and Gentiles, but not to those who believe. You know, I was thinking, Peter Calabretta, are you out there watching online? Because uh, on our Marvelous Mondays, if you don't know, Helen and I always do a sermon recap on Mondays on Facebook at 1 o'clock, and um, we review the sermon and look back um, at the service. And uh, Peter uh, is a regular watcher, and uh, he regularly drops hymns into the chat. And uh, most of them I know because I'm old, and, um, and I sing them. I hope you like that, Peter. I don't know. I hope you do. But I was thinking, I was thinking of that old hymn. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. It is the only wisdom. It is the only power that can actually save us. The rest of the stuff is just noise. Nuclear power, government power, intellectual wisdom, military might, it's not the answer. The world runs to these things again and again and again, and nothing changes us. Nothing transforms us. Nothing is like the blood of Jesus and the, cru and, and the crucified Christ and the power and the wisdom of the cross for those who have the eyes to see, for those who have the ears to hear. He is the power and the wisdom from God. All the other stuff is nothing compared to the power and wisdom that was displayed on the cross. It is the power of God. It is the wisdom and power of God on the cross that changes minds and hearts. It is the power of God that changes a sinner into a saint. Think about that. He changes a sinner into a saint. Nothing else does that. It's a miracle. It's the power of the cross that heals bodies. By his stripes, we are healed. We can pray for and believe for miracles and healing now. And one day, our bodies will be totally and completely well and healed. Nothing else does that but Jesus. He transforms and sets people free. He changes perspectives. What was once foolish to us is now power and wisdom. What seemed to make no sense to us, we're now willing to serve and lay our lives down for. Nothing else does that but the message of the cross. It is awesome for those who believe. So the message of the cross is foolish for some, but for those, Paul says, for those who are being saved, they know that it's the power of God. It is the awesome, wonder-working, mountain-moving, life-changing power of God, and it comes through Jesus' victory on the cross. So what is the message of the cross? Get this today. This is the message even if you're out there listening and you have a hard time accepting it, the message is still the same, whether you believe it or not. But the cross message is there is power and wisdom found in the crucified Christ. That's the message, it says. There is salvation, there is change, there is transformation, there is healing, there is everything you need 
through the crucified Christ. That is the message of the cross. Lastly, a third thing I was thinking about was, how do we access this power? It's one thing to say that the cross gives power and wisdom to us who believe. But how do we get it? How do we access it? If Jesus dying on the cross is so powerful, and we believe it is, then we need it in our lives. I mean, if it's accessible to me, if, if he died on the cross so that I can experience his power and his wisdom, and I don't know about you, but I want it. If he died to give it to me, then that means he knows that I need it, he wants me to have it, and I want to say, yes, Lord, give it to me in all ways, please. How can I access it? How, how can we get it? And, and can, can this wisdom and power that comes from Jesus, can it actually make a practical difference in my life? I believe you, Wendy. <laughs> I mean, this is the, these are the questions that we need to say yes to. Can it make a practical difference in my marriage? Can my marriage be better because of Jesus? Yes. What about my home life? Can my home life, can my relationships, can they be better because of Jesus? What about my workplace? This is where, listen, like our marriage, our home, and our work, this it consumes so much of our lives. Can it actually make a difference where the rubber meets the road? Practically, we have to be pragmatic about it. Is the power of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus that he died on the cross to give us, can it practically make a difference? Well, the answer, my friends, is yes, it can. Y-E-S, yes. So the way to make it real, the way to make it real in your life, it sounds simple, but yet it's powerful. You see, the wisdom of God is so wise that even children can understand it. Even simple people like you and me can get it. We don't get everything about God, of course. He's too big to fully understand. But we can understand what he's done for us. We can understand the hope that we have in him. We can understand the price he paid to give us freedom and hope and salvation. And even little children can get that. This is how incredibly deep and profound, uh, uh, but yet so wise it's simple. And this is the conundrum that God is, right? He's awesome. So how do we access it? We access it simply by faith. By faith. And I know that sounds odd, but let me just unpack that just a little bit. The power and the wisdom of the cross that comes to us through Jesus will only enter into our lives by faith. There's no other way we're going to get it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And look at what Paul said, uh, just a couple of verses. We, we read uh, 1 Corinthians down to verse 25, and then in uh, verse uh, 125, and then in chapter 2, just a couple of verses later, he says this. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, 
I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. So our hope and our faith must be in Jesus and the victory that he achieved on the cross. Paul is saying, look, when I first came to you, I didn't want you to be impressed with my wisdom. I wasn't there to unveil some mysterious, complicated plan to impress you. I wanted to give you the basic truth, the life-changing truth, Jesus and Jesus crucified. And if you get that, if you believe it, if you receive it, then everything that he died to give you can be yours through an act of faith that you may not understand everything, but when you open up your heart and say, Lord, I believe, then the, the, the saving begins. You are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. And the work of salvation begins in your life. This is the message that is so profound, but yet so simple. The, the Gentiles, the Greeks couldn't understand it. They didn't see the wisdom in it. They wanted to be wowed with, with unbelievable complicated things and plans and mysterious things. And the, the Christians, the way people were walking around saying, just believe, just believe in Jesus. And they thought it was too simple, too uncomplicated for my sophisticated mind. And the problem with us is we think we're smart. We're not as smart as we think we are. There's something beautiful about simplicity. Something beautiful that even a little child can understand. It's called by faith. You, you all remember that movie. Uh, it was one of the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. I think it was number three. And... Uh, Whatever the guy's name is, um, he's, I know it's Harrison Ford, but whatever his name was in the movie. Indiana Jones. Gee, yeah, how I should have known that. Anyway, so Indiana Jones gets, he's trying to find the cup of Jesus. Everyone remember that? Some of us remember? Is this, is this cup, the Holy Grail. He's trying to find this cup that was uh, supposedly from, uh, from Jesus. And so he gets, he's walking through this cave. And he gets to the edge, uh, like just like this. He gets to an edge, and there's a huge chasm. The, it, it continues, you know, way over there, but there's no way that he can get across. There's this huge gulf, and he's standing on an edge, and the other edge is way over there. Anyway, the, the whole movie is he has to take, remember, a step of, right, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's kind of inspiring. It is in a way. I've actually used it as a witnessing tool to people to say, you know, you're right on the edge. You're really close to Jesus. But you lack one thing. You've got to take a step of faith. And once you do, the bridge will appear. Once you do, 
he'll start to make sense. Like you, 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 you can't make sense of him until you take that step of faith. You're not going to get the power and the wisdom of God until you take that step of faith. You must take the step. The bridge didn't appear for Indiana until he took the step, right? Those of you who know the movie, he has to say, you know, he psychs himself up. He takes the step, and all of a sudden, the bridge appears. He rolls over, and the movie rolls on from there. But the point is, is he, not, he, he can't go any further. He can't go any further. He's smart. He's deciphered things. He's, he's figured out things. He's gotten through danger and trials and tribulation. But he can't go any further until he takes a step of faith. We have to take that step. If you're watching today and you haven't taken that step and you're trying to figure out if God is real, the power of God is real, or the wisdom of God is real, you'll, it says God has made it so that you'll never be able to figure out with human wisdom. It comes by listening to foolish preaching, right? That, that somebody explains it to you in, in this simple way to say, take a step of faith. When you take the step of faith, then, and you do it in a sincere way, wow, does change start to happen in your life? So how do you access the wisdom? How do you access the power of the cross? It, it's faith. It's faith. Paul didn't want them to be impressed with his wisdom. He didn't want them to be wowed by some incredible plan that he was going to unveil. He wanted them to trust only in Christ and Christ crucified. He wanted them to get that he is the power of God. He wanted the church in Corinth just like he wanted every church, just like the Lord wants all of us. He wanted them to experience the Holy Spirit. He didn't want them to experience some man-made plan, some man-made experience, some, some drummed-up emotional thing. No, he wanted them to know the real deal, the power of the Spirit. And he says, it's going to come when you take a step of faith. You have to believe that God rewards those. You can't please him without faith. And he rewards those who show it. See, the power of the cross becomes available to those who respond in faith. God's grace touches our lives. He gives us the ability to see. He changes our perspective. And now we are able to see a life of faith. We're able to live a life of faith in a way that we could never do it if we hadn't taken the step. Faith pleases God. The word is so clear. It pleases God and he rewards it. Every time he sees it, he rewards it. Just believe. Just believe. All things are possible. Just believe. He encourages us again and again and again. Build your faith. Believe your faith. Work on your faith. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I will reward you. I will be with you. I won't let you down. Work on it. Keep going. Faith is powerful. It's powerful. There are only two responses, ultimately, that we can have to the cross. We can think it's foolish and disregard it, or we can believe it by faith. Ultimately, it comes down to that. 1 Corinthians 
it says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. See, if you put your faith in Jesus as the wisdom and the power of God, then you can experience a love, a freedom, a security like nothing else can give you. The power and the wisdom of God becomes available to you to help you live a good life now, and, and, and it gives you an eternity to look forward to in the future. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. When Jesus did his work on the cross, understand, he utterly saved you. You understand? In all ways a person can be saved, he saved you. Look at 1 Corinthians with this, I gotta wrap up, 25, verse 25. It says, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So the gospel of a crucified Jesus, it's wiser than human wisdom and it's stronger than human strength. And understand this, if you, if, if you think you can live a good enough life, you can't. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't do it on our own. The word is so clear. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God that comes to us by accepting, by accepting him through faith, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is how it comes to us. The wages of sin is a price that we can never pay. The wages of sin is too high for us. There's no way we can work our way out of it. No way we can give enough money to pay it. It's a price we simply can't pay. There's only one who paid the price. One, and his name is Jesus. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. He is the wisdom of God, and he is the power of God. And what he did on the cross made this available to anyone Anyone, doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, doesn't matter the color of your skin or your culture, doesn't matter where you live, if you're rich or poor, man or woman. What he did on the cross was made available to anyone who would choose to believe by faith. It is unlocked when we take that step of faith. You have been listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including events, ministries, and service time, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast store, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.